Good morning to you. I hope you're enjoying your Sunday. I hope it's off to a good start. I trust that uh, you're having an enjoyable time of worship, an enjoyable time of connecting with our amazing God and connecting with with our church family. We definitely wish we could be there. And soon enough, Lord willing, we will be there with you in person. But we're glad that we can connect with you, that I can connect with you in this way. Um, We are going to wrap up our Made for This sermon series today. I hope the series has been beneficial to you as we're seeking to create clarity regarding those big questions of life. Why, Why am I here? What's the purpose of my life? What what was I made to do? How do I find meaning and joy and happiness in life? Last Sunday, I explained and taught about how we were made for family and we were made for the church. And little did I know that the evening of recording that sermon, I was gonna be in the ER with appendicitis and then the following morning, I would have my appendix removed, right? So, but little did I know that, but what I preached on the morning that I went into ER when I recorded my sermon for all of you, uh, really came to fruition as I journeyed through my time at the hospital and as I've journeyed through this week recovering from from surgery. I, I spoke about how Jesus's fullness is present in the church. And so if you want to experience Christ's compassion, you're gonna find it in the church. If you wanna experience um, his uh, ability to provide, you're gonna experience it in the church. If you want to experience his deep love, you're gonna experience it in the church and through the church. And boy, um, over this last week and a half, two weeks really, We've been experiencing that. What a joy it is to be connected to all of you um, in the body of Christ. You guys have blessed us, many of you, in many ways, whether it's cards, whether it's meals, whether it's coming and helping work on this deck that that I'm still building. You guys have been tremendous. Thank you. Um, And also, you know, when I talked last Sunday about the the fact that we were made for family, my wife Mary has been phenomenal in caring for me. My parents have been amazing um, in caring for me and our family. And uh, so the stuff that we talk about on Sunday mornings, it works in real life. It is true. This is not when we come and we meet, uh, we're, we're not just talking about theory like this. This is real stuff. Christianity works because Christianity is based on the risen Christ who is alive and who in power by his mighty spirit is working through through his people. So um, as we look at the, the, the final topic that we're going to discuss in this series, um, just know that this stuff works in real life. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about the fact that we were made for the world. And there are two main ways that we bless the world. The first way is that we bless the world through our work. The second way we bless the world is through our witness. So I want to talk about our work and our witness with you this morning. So let's start with blessing the world through our work. We were made to do that. 
In order to look at this, we're going to read some verses out of Genesis. I have been reading these verses repeatedly in the sermon series because when we go back to Genesis, what we're going back to is God's original intent and design for human life. And so that's why we're going to head back there again. So let me read to you Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said, them, said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then Genesis 2.15 says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. These verses that I just read, they talk about the six days of God's uh, creative work, right? Six days he makes the world. On the sixth day he creates human beings in his image. Humans to be his image bears. Now, what is this? What does the creation account tell us about God? Well, it tells us that God is a vigorous worker. He enjoys working. It tells us that God is an artist. He is a creative. He is a horticulturalist. He is an engineer. He's a builder. He's an ecologist, a zoologist. God is all of these things. God delights in working. The dictionary defines work as an activity involving mental or physical effort done in order to produce or achieve a result. God loves, enjoys to put forth effort to achieve a particular purpose or result. God is a vigorous worker. Now what is the result that God labors to achieve? But well, we see the answer to that question right in the verses that I read to you. God labored to create a world in which humans could flourish. That's what God labored to do in the creation account. So what does this mean that we are made in the image of a working God? What does it mean that we're made in the image of a working God? Well, it means that, well, we are designed to work. We are made to work. Now, the question then is, if we are to work, and that's one of the reasons God has designed us, um, how are we to go about working? What, what is the work that God has called us to do? Again, the answer is right in the text that I read to you. We are made to do the work of ruling. We are to rule. God has given us the work of ruling over the earth. I think the passage speaks of dominion, right? Rulership. That's what this passage is talking about. Whether you realize it or not, you are a ruler. You are designed to rule. You are a king or a queen. Um, the, then the question now becomes, all right, so if we are to do the work of ruling, how are we to go about the work of ruling? Again, answer 
right in the text that I read to you. The text says that we are to subdue the earth. We are to tend it and keep it. Those are the three ways in which we rule over the earth on God's behalf. We subdue it, we tend it, and we keep it. Well, what does it mean to subdue something? Well, to subdue something means to bring something under your control. It is to tame it. It is to organize it so that it works for you. That's what it means to subdue something. What does it mean to, ten, what does it mean to tend something? Tend something, uh, in order to tend something, what you're doing is you're managing it, right? You're directing it. That's what it means to tend something. What does it mean to keep something? Well, to keep something means to care for it, to protect it, to police it. That's what it means to um, keep something. So if we were going to put these verses together, um, we could say that God has designed us to bring God's rich creation under our control and to manage and direct it so that it works for us. But we're not to, in our subduing, abuse it or exploit it. Oh no, we are to keep it, right? We are to care for it. We are to ensure that it is able to be sustained, right? The first humans were environmentalists. They, they cared for creation. <laughs> we need to be those people too. So if God was going to, and, and he did through his word, but like if, 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 if I were to put what we read in Genesis here in a job description, here's how your job description would read. Your job title would be king or queen. Uh, who you report to would be the king of kings. Your primary task is to rule the earth. Your primary responsibilities are to subdue, to develop, to direct, to manage, to maintain, right? To tend, to keep all that God has created. What is your mission? To maximize human flourishing as God defines it. That's what you were made and designed to do. This is the work that reflects God's image, who Genesis tells us that when the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep, God exerted his will to subdue um, creation so that it would work for, work for human flourishing and for his glory. And we know that God continues to tend and keep the world he created even to today. He sustains all things. By him, all things are upheld. Perhaps the best metaphor in terms of, you know, helping us wrap our minds around this job description, this job title of ruler is the metaphor of gardening. And perhaps that's why Genesis uses this metaphor to explain Adam's role in the Garden of Eden. You know, when you think about a gardener, they don't invent the materials they're working with. No, uh, God has created it, but they're using those raw materials, right? 
they're using the soil, they're, they're leveraging the water, they're, they're taking the seeds and they're organizing it and subduing it in such a way that a garden is produced. And they're making those raw materials that God created to work for them and for the flourishing of other people. And so, and also they don't do this in a harsh way. I mean, master gardeners, they fertilize the garden, they weed it, they till it, they keep it, right? That they, they care for it well. You were made for the work of ruling. You are a ruler. You are a master gardener. This is what you were designed to do. And to borrow some words from John Mark Comer's book, Garden City, which was recommended to me by one abundant lifer, Brenda. Um, she recommended this book. I highly recommend it as well because I think it does a fantastic job of addressing what we're talking about this morning. But um, here's what his book, here's what he writes in his book, Garden City. When a builder takes a tree and a rock and rearranges it into a home for somebody to sleep and play and make love and relax and live in. When a fashion designer takes fabric and metal and rearranges it into something with shape and beauty and functionality. When a musician takes a sound and a tone and a melody and rearranges it into something coherent and mesmerizing. When a graphic designer takes a shape and a color palette and a typeface and rearranges it into something catchy and tasteful. All of this work is cultivation of drawing out something's potential. In fact, our word culture comes straight from the idea of cultivation. Good culture is the result of even better people at hard at work rearranging the raw stuff of planet Earth into a place of delight. We were made to reflect God's image, the working God's image, and by blessing the world through our work. And this, this explains, doesn't it, why when people are out of work um, or when they, yeah, they lose a job or when they choose, for, for whatever reason, not to work, why they often struggle with depression, right? In a, in a sense of like meaninglessness in their life because they were made to work. This also explains why work can often become a good thing that is elevated to like God's status in our life. Um, it, work is such a wonderful thing and it was designed to be such a wonderful thing and so we often take those good things and we make them God things. But I have to say work has fallen on hard times, hasn't it? Um, I think for many people work is this enemy. It's this necessary evil that you have to engage in in order to scrape by and make a living. And it's full of endless toil and sweat and blood and tears. That's what work is for many people. Now, of course, um, work will continue to uh, be difficult, right? We know that because of the fall. Um, there's going to be thorns and thistles that we're going to have to contend with as we work. But 
um, I think work in a lot of ways can be redeemed until Jesus returns and removes the curse of sin and death and everything that negatively impacts uh, work. Um, I think there's ways that we can engage in it and it can be more of a delight and a duty. So let me just offer some ways that I think we can work to redeem work. Number one, we must seek work as, we must see work as good in a major part of what it means to be a human being. We must see work as a good gift that was present in God's very good world before the fall. It wasn't a late intruder into God's good world after the fall, right? So we need to see work as inherently good. Secondly, we as the church, we need to view equipping people to be excellent workers as a major component of their discipleship. I think this is critical. Often we, as a church, and I think our church is guilty of this as well, is we equip people maybe to serve in the church, or we, we equip people to you know, know how to pray and read their Bible, which obviously those are great things. But we do very little work to equip our people to know how to work in the world uh, for human flourishing and God's glory. We need to see this as an extremely central part of one's discipleship. After all, we spend, I think in our lives, we spend the most time sleeping, but closely in second place we spend most of our lives a good bar, uh, a good part of it working thirdly we must choose our work wisely um, based on what i've shared with you here's a question that i think is a question that we would do well to consider and it, here's here's how it goes based on my spiritual gifts the passions God has placed in my heart, the natural abilities God has given me, my personality and my life experiences, what work can I pour myself into that will have the greatest impact on human flourishing as God defines it and the greatest potential to help others see God's glory? I think that is a question we should all answer and think through and ponder and wrestle with, especially if you are somebody that's just graduated, if you just graduated high school. This is the question we need to ask. It's not, you know, how, what work can I do to make the, the greatest amount of money or what work can I do that's going to give me, the, you know, the greatest amount of status and privilege in the world? No, the question I pose to you is the question we need to ask. Fourthly, Another way we can redeem work is we must trust God enough to pursue ruling in the way that he has uniquely designed us to rule. So um, we are all uniquely wired by God with different personalities and gifts, different natural abilities, right? And so um, in what God shows us how we can make the greatest impact for human flourishing and for his kingdom to expand and for his glory to be known, um, we need to trust that we can pursue that direction. Um, I think fear keeps us from doing uh, what, what 
is the best fit for us. We fear failure, right? We fear a loss of income and we're not gonna be able to provide for our family. We fear, um, we're insecure and we just wonder if we can really do the job, if we're really equipped for it. So all of these fears often keep people from doing what God has uniquely wired them to do. Let's choose to trust God and pursue where he is leading us. Fifthly, we must never stop working. Retire, retirement, the way that we normally conceive of it and, and think of it, is um, I, you know, really uh, an unbiblical thing. This idea that, yeah, you work hard um, you, you know, for a portion of your life so that you don't have to work, so that, you know, and that mentality, like, it, it celebrates that um, not working is a good thing, a desirable thing. I think that's a fallacy, and I don't think it's biblical. I think uh, retirement in that sense is not a part of a Jesus follower's life. We are always to work, even if we stop working a, in a particular way, we're, we're only then shifting to a new type of work. And that's why when you see retired people that spend their retirement on their lazy boy in front of the TV, the life gets sucked right out from them because now they're being less human than what they were created to be. And so retirement in the normal sense of what we consider retirement to be here in our country really shouldn't be a part of the Christian's life. So long as you have breath in your lungs, God wants you to contribute to human flourishing. He wants you to contribute to God's glory being known. And we are to work to that end um, and leverage our resources, whatever we have to give for that. So that's, we were made to work. We were made to bless the world through work. Let's look at, we were made to bless the world through our witness. If sin had not entered the world, then every person everywhere would know God, would have an intimate relationship with him, would be living within God's design for human life, and the, the praises of God would be on everybody's lips, and, and, and that praise would be shared, and, and everybody everywhere would be speaking about God's goodness, and did you... You know, I was spending time with God yesterday and he told me this and, you know, and man, how about when he did this? Like we would be talking about that all the time. But since sin has entered the world, obviously th there's been this major disconnect between humanity and God. And that needs to be reconciled. Um, for those of us Christians, we have experienced Christ reaching down in love uh, to rescue us from the prison of sin and, and you know, uh, death, right? And God wants us now as, as the people that have been saved to be, to partner with him in rescuing others. And so one of the major ways that we bless the world and one of the major reasons why God makes us new is he gives us this calling to be a witness so that we can help other people 
see the greatness of God, see his goodness, and so that we can help other people realize their need for salvation in Christ. Um, not too long ago, uh, we went through a sermon series that I titled Going Public, and it's all about being a witness for Jesus and how we can go about doing that. Um, I encourage you to check out that sermon series if you haven't or if you feel like you need to review it. Um, but there are two uh, primary ways that I mentioned in that series that I want to explain to you again today that we can be a witness for Jesus in the world. The first is through gospel proclamation. Okay, and then the second thing is gospel demonstration. So gospel proclamation, that is using words in conversation to help people understand why we're here, um, what went wrong uh, with the world, how it's going to be made right, how we can be made right, and then also how we are designed to live. I think we need to be able to provide answers to those questions because those are the most important, biggest questions we can ask about life. And as we answer those questions, obviously we're going to be able to tell the people we're talking with gospel truths, right? That the reason we're here is that God loves us and he created us and designed us to be in a loving relationship with him and to rule over the earth on his behalf, right? What went wrong is sin. All of us, every single person, we have chosen to rebel against God and to rebel against his design for human flourishing, right? Um, how will the world be made right? Well, God, through Christ, is reconciling all things to himself. God, through Christ, is at work to remove the curse of sin as far as the curse is found. And when he returns, God's mission to bring salvation to his good world will be complete. The, the next question is, well, how can I be made right? Um, and the answer is through Jesus Christ, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his return, right? Because Jesus lived the life that we should have lived but couldn't, right? And he died the death that we deserve for our sin to pay for the penalty that our sin earned so that um, in exchange for our sinfulness, when we place our trust in him, we can receive his righteousness, right? He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, right? That's how we are made right with God is when we trust in Jesus's work on our behalf and we receive him. We repent of our rebellion against him and we receive him as our king, as our Lord, right? How are we designed to live? Well, that we've been going through that in this sermon series. We were made for intimacy with God. We were made for rest and celebration. We were made for family and the church, right? We were made for work and witness. We need to be able to communicate that to people. So that's the gospel proclamation parts, right? Gospel demonstration. That's another major way that we are a witness for God. And Gospel demonstration is the tangible evidence 
that what we proclaim is actually real and true. And so what might be some of that tangible evidence? Well, if I am proclaiming that Jesus transforms, there, I ought to be able to speak to tangible transformation in my own life which has resulted in me living more fully according to God's design for human life and flourishing, right? I should be able to speak to how I am different in my marriage because of Christ. I am different in my family and in my connection to the church because of Christ. I am different in how I pursue intimacy with God because of Christ. I am different in how I approach my work right? Because of Christ. I am different in how my ultimate passion is Jesus. And so because Jesus is my ultimate passion, I want to share him with others through witness, right? That should be real. There, there should be tangible evidence of, of those changes in me, right? Also, more and more the character of Christ I should be able to explain how it's becoming more and more my character, right? The fruit of the Spirit um, is becoming more and more just natural for me by the working of the Holy Spirit. So that's gospel demonstration. It backs up our gospel proclamation. It, it provides real evidence that what we proclaim is true. And so there you have it. You were made to bless the world through work. You were made to bless the world through witness, through being a witness for God, through, for Christ. I encourage you um, to access the discussion guide, the discussion questions that we have linked to the sermon on our website. It'll help you uh, wrestle more fully with what I shared with you this morning it's a great thing to do with in a life group. So if you're not in a life group, get connected to one because we need each other to process this and to discern what is God saying to me and what am I going to do about it? In fact, one of those questions on that discussion guide is what is a major takeaway for you from this series and what is God calling you to do about it? And who are you going to be accountable to?